Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, Church for All Nations. I'm so happy to see your faces. My name is Pastor Ashley, and I am excited about today. There's so many amazing things going on. I I literally, I looked at Pastor Angie, and I thought, I'm already crying, and I haven't even started preaching. Like, come on. And I think, what an amazing testimony of God, just all these incredible organizations and that we get to partner. Nobody has to reinvent the wheel because there's already so many incredible orgs doing awesome things. But I love how the Holy Spirit works. I love how he ordained even this Sunday for it not only to be us in the middle of a series called What Did Jesus Do? Right? Because we can't know what Jesus would do until we know what he did do. Right? And then also on top of that, for it to be Sanctity of Life Sunday, as Pastor JF said, the word sanctity means sacred. So the idea of this Sunday is that we are celebrating that all of life from womb to tomb is sacred and ordained that by God. And you know, it's also so providential, I believe, that tomorrow we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Because outside of Jesus himself, I don't know of many individuals that have fought for sanctity of life more than he did. And it's so beautiful. It's beautiful the way that the Lord brings it all together. But this series has been so powerful already. Pastor Eric knocked it out of the park again last week. Like just the best. So awesome. And this week, we're going to talk about this subject of sanctity of life. And I want to do a little bit of a recap because I want to make sure everyone's on the same page of why we even care to look at exactly what Jesus did. And I think it's important. Let's go to Scripture. Because we need to remember that Jesus was the exact demonstration of the heart of God. Jesus himself, what he did was the fullness and the completeness of the word of God in flesh form. So often Pastor JF and myself, and we've talked about this from stage before, we get questions about scripture, but most of those are questions about the Old Testament because they are actually read without considering that Jesus himself and what he did on earth is the full picture of it all the full picture of every part of it. And I want to read that in Scripture because, friends, I'm not just making that up. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1 because it matters what Jesus did. Verse 1, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days. How many of you believe we're in the last days? In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. We'll get to that in a second. Verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory 
and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. I love how John says it. He says it like this in chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And just in case you thought he was full of judgment, no, 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 no full of grace and truth. It is impossible to understand in its fullness the heart of God and the truth of the word of God without looking to what Jesus did. My husband, Pastor J.F., asked me to deliver this sermon and uh, part of it was because I have a unique background in this area of sanctity of life. And he asked me to share some of this with you. If you're brand new to Church for All Nations, or maybe you're just watching us online, you're passing through, uh, all of my background is in academics. And all of those academic degrees fall in line with human development and developmental psychology, undergrad, and all the graduate degrees that I have as well. And so this is an area that I've studied academically for many, many, many years. (laughs) There's another many in there, yeah. But on top of that, I got a really unique experience right out of undergrad where the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to be trained by a gentleman by the name of Dr. James Dobson. And I was trained by him personally in this area of sanctity of life. And from that, program, I was able to go into working in a center like CareNet on the East Coast. And I was able to become a national advocate and spokesperson for this topic and also congressional awareness and research. And so I have to tell you, I know this topic in and out. I can debate this topic in and out. I'm not here this morning to debate. I know this topic personally as well. I have two amazing, beautiful children. We talk about them all the time. And if you get to know them, you know why we talk about them all the time. They're incredible. Israel's nine and Fulton's six. But I also know what it is to lose babies. We lost twins after Israel. And we lost a baby after Fulton. And with that baby, I was still nursing. And so I know what it's like to have a DNC performed on me wide awake. So I know that procedure as well. I know what it is to pray with women that are grappling with decisions you and I can't even fathom. I know what it is to have those hard conversations and to want to give advice, but knowing that the Holy Spirit can move in that moment in her heart and watching him do his delicate work. I also know what it means to cry and to mourn and to grieve with women that have made choices that they regret terribly. This is not a simple conversation. 
This is not easy. But today I don't want to look to research. I don't even want to look at man's laws. I want to look at the word of God with you. I want to open scripture with you to not just talk about the idea of pro-birth. We will talk about that, certainly. But the idea, and Miles' music, you're amazing. You said it yourself. The idea of being pro-life, the entirety of life, that all of life is sacred, womb to the tomb. And I really feel that the Holy Spirit has given me three words, three words that he desires for every individual that bears his name, the name Christian, follower of Jesus, that if we dare to call ourselves that, before we have any of these difficult conversations that we will consider these three I words. Three I words this morning. And the very first one that I have for you is image. When we are having these difficult conversations, or let's be honest, any conversation, if you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, you have to remember this first word, image. Ask yourself, how am I viewing this person? Yes, this goes for the unborn, but it also goes for your neighbor right? All of life is sacred. Let's go to the beginning. All the way back to the creation story. Let's start there. That's a good place to start, right? Genesis 1, starting in verse 26, scripture says, then God said, let us, whoa, 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 wait, us? Us, right? We just read that Jesus was there the word in the beginning and that the universe was created through him. So us is talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're talking about what did Jesus do, right? It's part of what Jesus did. Let us make mankind in our image. Whose image? Our image. In our likeness. I love that he says it a different way. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Every single human life, regardless of race or age or gender, is sacred to the heart of God. Why? Because it is his image that we bear. Scripture is clear that this doesn't just occur when someone is born. We even read in the Christmas story last month that the Holy Spirit can work and does work in the womb itself as well. And I love this passage of Scripture. And I believe someone, especially watching online right now, needs to hear this. This is God's Word specifically to you. Let's look together. Psalms 139, it's one of my favorites. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I love that David had to remind himself again, your works are wonderful. Maybe you're here today and you need to hear that. You are his work and you are wonderful. You are wonderful. So wonderful. I know full well, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in this secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Verse 17, maybe you want to underline this one. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. I want you to notate that because that passage, if you look in various translations, has a double meaning and some will translate it the other way. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. And it's so beautiful here that the psalmist is explaining both in one phrasing. How precious are your thoughts about me? And Lord, when I begin to understand that, then I make your thoughts about me more precious than anything, more important than anything, more important than my past. All my days were already written in your book before I was born. You already knew that I'd do all that stuff, God. And you still said, I'm wonderful. You still said, I'm wonderful. That's your thoughts about me. Verse 18. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. All humans are created in his image, sacred image. I have to tell you, though, my heart has been so heavy the last couple weeks. Even in beginning this preparation process, even a month ago of praying and thinking about, Lord, how would you have me unpack this delicate conversation? And the reason so much of my heart is so heavy is because I've heard this conversation twisted and used in ways that are so hurtful to people. I've seen people, especially in light of this conversation, end up using scripture as a weapon to hurt others. I've seen this over and over. And as much as it grieves my heart, I can't fathom how much more it grieves the heart of God. And as I was reading through scripture, I realized that Jesus encountered the exact same thing. People using scripture to twist and weaponizing it for maybe even their own agenda. And you have to understand, friends, if you're new to the faith, or maybe you have been walking this walk with Jesus for a long time, but you need to hear this fresh and new. This is the number one tactic of the enemy and has been for all time. Not only in the fall, the twisting of God's word, right, to bring disunity. But I look even back at Genesis. What did the serpent do? The serpent didn't come in and speak to Adam and Eve outlandish, crazy things. He took God's word and he twisted it just enough to make them begin to question their calling, 
their assignment, how God would want them to do it. And we see that Jesus walked through the exact same thing when he was being tempted by Satan himself. What did Satan use? Scripture. He used scripture with his own agenda, twisting it, turning it in a way that it weaponizes. Friends, we as the body of Christ need to wake up to this reality We need to make sure we are aware of the plots and the ploys of the enemy. But there's another place in scripture where Jesus encounters this and he encounters it with religious people, religious leaders that are coming in this exact same vein of weaponizing the word of God. Look with me, John 8 is where we're gonna turn. We're gonna start in verse two and you have to understand that Jesus in his view of sanctity of life. Jesus in his view that everyone, every human life is sacred, regardless of race and gender and age or even location. This was so revolutionary that the religious institutions were livid. They couldn't even handle it. And so they began to plot but they don't do it without scripture. Look at John 8, starting in verse two. At dawn, he, meaning Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Verse six, just in case it wasn't obvious, says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, in order to work it toward their own agenda is exactly what they were doing. And that's the second I that I wanna bring to light this morning. We as followers of Jesus are not allowed to have conversations with people without first recognizing that they are the image of God, whether we agree with them or not. They were created in the image of God and we are to respect life, all life in that regard. And number two, we secondly have to keep in check our intentions. Image and intention. What is my honest goal or reason for this conversation? Allowing the Holy Spirit to check our hearts. And Jesus knew exactly why they were bringing this person before them. He knew exactly why they were quoting the law in that way. And his response, friends, was louder than words. I know I've taught most of you this before, but man, the Holy Spirit would not let me walk away from this story in this message. John 8, verse six. After they brought the woman, Jesus doesn't hurl threats at them. He doesn't scream or flip tables. I might've chosen that point to flip tables. I gotta be honest. Like, what are you doing, right? 
Jesus bends down. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. How peculiar. Verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, they wouldn't let it go. Kept on questioning him. He straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again, verse 8, he stooped down and was writing on the ground. Why would Jesus do this? I talk about my family a lot in sermons. And how many of you know that my dad is what you would call old school? Anybody got an old school daddy? Yeah. And there's four of us children. I have two older brothers and then an older sister. She's 10 years older than me. And you're welcome. And, uh, and then me. My sister, her name is Lawana, and she's amazing, and she's so gorgeous, and has always been gorgeous. She was in like beauty pageants, and she was the majorette, and she looks a lot like Reese Witherspoon, if you uh, follow her on social media. But um, she, and she's more beautiful on the inside than she even is on the outside. So I gotta tell you that uh, we were all very particular about the dudes that she dated. There was a whole grilling process. And I remember this one specific time where my dad and my mom, we were taking a whole family outing to the mall. Remember like hanging out at the mall? (sighs) Like another life, right? We were going to the mall and we were gonna eat and see a movie as a family right? Well, all of this is checking this dude out, right? Like it's all part of the process and we're just watching everything he does. And so I remember they, they pulled their car up next to the family car and we're all just kind of watching and, and he didn't open her door. So we watched, we watched. And my dad is loud until he's quiet and you want to be scared when he's quiet, right? <laughs> And we were walking through the mall and this dude was constantly like 15 steps in front of my sister. And that just didn't sit well with my dad. The idea that he just walked ahead of her and just left her kind of behind. And so in the middle of the little mall where I grew up, my dad grabs my hand and my mom's hand and the whole family stops in the middle of the wall, mall and dude just keeps on walking. And we're all just standing there. We're just kind of watching him. Well, he takes about 30 steps and then begins to realize what's going on and and turns around and my dad just smiles. And without saying one word, that dude got taught. Without one word, the whole lesson was unpacked to him. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing with these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, right? Jesus isn't even saying a word about it, but he's giving them a picture. And this picture is from a scripture that they all would have known all too well. In fact, they would have had it memorized, but they also would have quoted it on a regular basis. But unless we know this scripture, we don't get the full picture. The scripture is found in Jeremiah. Chapter 17, verse 13, this is what the scripture says that they all knew. 
Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. What exactly, what exactly was Jesus saying to them? In that moment, Jesus was saying, your intentions, your reason for bringing this woman, that is you turning your heart from God. You are forsaking not only my word, but my heart and my intention for you. In that moment, he is saying that louder than anyone could ever fathom. Your intentions reveal so much. But how can we know then? How can we know if our intentions are actually in line with the word of God? Most of us want, want to make sure we are representing Jesus fully in the best way possible. How can we know that even our intentions, our reasons for having these conversations also do that? Go back to John 1, verse 14. We read it before, but I wanna read it again. Talking about Jesus, it's the description of who Jesus is. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Are your intentions full of grace as well as truth? Are your intentions bathed in the love of the Father along with the fullness of his truth? Ask yourself that before you ever engage in these conversations. Back to the story. John 8, verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. What, what, what do you mean, heard? All Jesus was doing was writing in the sand. He was teaching without having to say a word. The older ones first. Why were the older ones first? Because they knew more of scripture and they were the ones that recalled it faster. And they were like, oh, oh, oh. Walking away. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Underline that. Jesus didn't come to condemn, and he sure didn't call you to condemn. What did Jesus do? Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. I want you to highlight that part because the Lord showed me something this week that I've never seen before. Because typically I would read that and say, okay, he just told her not to sin anymore. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, go. 
Well, what do you mean go? That was the first word he said. Not only did Jesus not condemn the woman, he commissioned her. He said, go and leave your life of sin. And in that moment, I'm thinking in my head, the woman had to go, wait, Jesus, you mean there's something else I can do? You mean there's other options for me? Because I was only in this because I thought it was all I could do. I thought I was trapped and that I'd never get out. And I'd always either be this or stoned. And Jesus said, no, go, my child. I have more for you. I have a purpose for you. I have something so much greater than you can ever dream. Go and leave this life. I have a bigger greater life and purpose for you. And I believe that she and Jesus had that moment together. And what's so powerful about that moment is that so often we allow the next line to be put into a different narrative, but the next line is directly linked to this story. The next line says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, meaning everyone watching, they didn't hear everything Jesus spoke to her. They did hear the commission though. And when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, meaning you can't have intentions of darkness and follow me. You can't have intentions of disunity and follow me. You cannot have intentions of twisting my word and follow me in the way that I'm calling you. You gotta be a light giver. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will have the light of life is what John 8, 12 says. And that's the last I for you this morning. We have to remember that every person, regardless of age, race, gender, status, education, whatever, we're all created in his image. Number two, our intentions matter, friends. You got to keep those in check because scripture says that our hearts, man, they can be wicked above anything that we even fathom. The heart of man our intentions. Why? Why am I saying this? Why am I posting this? Why am I, why am I fighting? So what, what is this? Why am I fighting this battle? Intentions matter. And last, illumination. Friend, God has called us to be light givers, to commission, not to condemn, to give the light of life to people that are looking for him. You know, so often we talk about the gospel. Man, if I had a dollar for every time someone sent me an email or posted, woman just preached the gospel. Do you know what gospel means? It means good news. Good news. Good news about what Jesus has done for you and for me. Good news about how Jesus views us all as sacred. Good news about the fact that God has a purpose for each and every one of us that is so much greater than anything that we can fathom. And so often 
People that are calling themselves Christians are not preaching good news, friends. They are preaching condemnation, and I can't tell you how much that's not the heart of God. And you never know what an impact it will have. You never know who you're impacting. In January of 1946, there was a young, very poor girl named Catherine. And Catherine had just found out that outside of wedlock, she had gotten pregnant. You have to understand, she was living in a very, very, very small town like the one that I grew up in where everybody knows you and everything you're doing and all your business is everybody's business and everybody's talking about everybody. And like so many, especially in that time, it's a different day now, but especially in that time as she was terrified she knew that her family would put her away. She understood the disgrace that it would bring. She understood all the shame that would be heaped onto her. She also knew the father's family would likely do the same to her. And so she began to toil over this decision of what to do. How will I even care for this baby? How am I going to handle this? And she ended up falling ill. And in the hospital, they came into her room and they explained that she had to have an appendectomy, which was a pretty major surgery back in the 40s. And they told her they would have to put her under. And in doing that, she would likely lose this baby anyway. So it just made more sense all around since she wasn't married to let them go ahead and abort the baby and then no one would ever know. Scot free, right? Catherine wasn't even a believer at that time. But the Holy Spirit began to put inside of her this hope of who that baby might be this hope of the legacy that that child might bring, this hope of what she might even name him. And she told the doctors no. She said, I'm gonna take my chances. She had the surgery and she recovered and that baby was born. Now this story might not seem so incredibly compelling until you realize that that baby was my father. And that if my grandmother hadn't made that decision, I wouldn't be before you today. My babies wouldn't be here. You never know the impact you're having. And you need to understand that I am so grateful that there weren't people holding signs outside of that hospital that day, yelling and screaming at her, 
condemning her, but that the Holy Spirit himself in his kindness, illuminating exactly what he could do if she just trusted him. And friends, I got to tell you, we're called to be that light. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it in an amazing way that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. God has called us to illuminate, to illuminate. Bow your heads. I want to pray for you. I'm smart enough to know that watching online and also in this room, that there's one out of every four women that has walked through an abortion. I want you to know that there is no shame, that our Savior does not condemn you. He commissions you. He calls you into a life full of love and forgiveness and purpose beyond anything that you could ever imagine. And I want you to know that if you don't have a home church, you have found a home church that will love you exactly where you are. On this journey, we are all on a journey. We are all learning. We are all prayerfully getting better every day. Glory to glory, looking more like Jesus. Today, I want to pray that God would help us with those eyes. That we would understand some of you today, the Holy Spirit will give you a new revelation that you were created in His image. Some of you aren't even realizing that yet, that he does think you're wonderful, that all of your days were written in his book and he knew all the mess you'd get in and he still called you his masterpiece. (laughs) And then some of us here today need a revelation that every human from womb to tomb is created in God's image. And God does have a purpose and a plan for each and every one. I believe the Holy Spirit will begin to nudge us and show us that our intentions in those posts, our intentions in the conversations, they do matter. And that he will call us to bring his light, that illumination, his light of life in the middle of the darkness that we're seeing. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you did send Jesus to show us the perfect, complete picture of your heart, God, of exactly what your word means in its fullness, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. There's not one of us in this room or watching online that isn't in need of it. Every single one of us. Thank you, Lord, that your forgiveness is perfect. It is complete. It is whole. It is restorative. Thank you, Lord, that you commission every single one of us. Now, whether we listen to it or not, that's another conversation, Lord, but you have a purpose. You have a mission. You have a commission for us. Help us, God, to be aware of that and to walk in the light of life that you're calling us to. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen, amen. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. 
For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.